In the future you are talking about. Russia is promoting the idea of multipolarity. This idea is long overdue. Moscow is building relationships with major players, India, Brazil, Turkey, Algeria, but none of these countries break off relations with the West. And thus they do not doom themselves to the alienation of the technological and economic process. Does Russia's break with the West hinder Moscow's ambitions for leadership in a multipolar world? You said that Russia is actively promoting the idea of a multipolar world. This is wrong. The multipolar world is being formed objectively. It is being formed due to the emergence of new centers of economic growth, financial power and political influence. China, India, Brazil are prime examples of this. Let's not forget about the Arab countries of the Persian Gulf, about Turkey, about Indonesia and the ASEAN countries. Leaders are rising in Africa who want to use the resources God has given to this continent, not to serve the former colonizers, but to industrialize and develop modern technologies, and this process also reflects the formation of Africa as one of the poles of the polycentric system, which is being objectively formed, and this process is reflected in numbers and statistics. Look at the share of global GDP now accounted for by the G7 countries. This share is already less than the share of the BRICS countries, and the gap is steadily shrinking. The People's Republic of China has already come out on top in most development parameters especially if we consider it in terms of purchasing power parity, in terms of GDP per person. This process has not yet ended with China coming to the forefront, but this trend cannot be stopped. Everyone recognizes this, and the problems, that were created by the United States and its satellites in connection with our forced special military operation in Ukraine, after many years of our explaining to the West that its lies about not expanding NATO to the East and breaking its promise will end badly, so the reaction of the West to this special military operation to this absolutely fair and uncontested step in defense of our security and in defense of the people who have lived on these lands for centuries, whom the Kiev regime decided to deprive of the right to their language, to their religion, to their culture and their values. The reaction of the West to our, I believe, the fair reaction to such disgusting actions of neo-Nazis settled in Kiev with the support of the United States, it caused a complete and absolute abuse by Washington of all the tools 
that it promoted within the framework of the mechanisms of the functioning of the world economy. There is also fair competition here. All this was crossed out by unilateral sanctions, of course. There is also the inviolability of private property. They simply steal it. And not only from us. But they also acted with the property of Venezuela, Iran, Afghanistan, and a number of other countries, but now they are puzzling over how to make this theft legitimate until they succeed. At least here they have some remnants of conscience and, of course, the freedom of market forces, the presumption of innocence all this was forgotten by them overnight, the sanctions that they imposed against us and against other countries. They are already starting to introduce certain unilateral illegitimate measures against the People's Republic of China. They have become the hallmark of the West in their attempt to maintain their positions in the world economy and politically to secure hegemony for themselves in order to no one could even utter a word against the will of the United States and the rest of the collective West, which is completely obedient to it. As for the mention of the fact that our friendly and allied countries, our strategic partners, have not severed relations with the West, we did not break relations with the West, the West, as I understand it, I do not want to speak in a high style, but, obviously, it was the West's malice, that Russia nevertheless dared to defend its fundamental legitimate historical interests, in this anger, the West severed practically all relations with us, let me remind you that it all started long before the start of the special military operation. In December 2016, Barack Obama expelled dozens of our citizens three weeks before leaving the presidency of the United States. Then he took away five properties from us in violation of intergovernmental agreements in violation of the Vienna Conventions on Diplomatic Relations, and then these sanctions only increased, well, the reaction of the West shows, you know what they say, that if Jupiter is angry, then he is wrong, I don't even want to compare the West to Jupiter, but it is driven by anger in the understanding that it is irrevocably losing its dominant position, and it is driven by the desire to slow down this historical process in every possible way, because the fact that this historical process will eventually triumph, I think, that any politician in the West who thinks a little bit understands this too, therefore, as you know, we have diplomatic relations with Western countries. We are not closing. Our president recently stressed this again. He said we are not self-isolating, but, naturally, we are developing relations with those who are ready to do this honestly, not fraudulently, on the basis of equality, on the basis of compliance with the norms of international law.
including the norm enshrined in the UN Charter, obliging everyone to respect the sovereign equality of large and small states, and, we do not close the doors from the West, the West is trying to isolate itself from us, but, if and when sane people come to power there, if they suggest that we look at how we can expand those contacts that are now preserved, but which have practically been reduced to an absolute minimum, then we will see what they can offer us, and already proceeding from our fundamental interests, we will respond, but, at the same time, never again at least for the age of current politicians and the generation that follows us. Never again in the plans for the development of strategic sectors of the economy, areas on which the sovereignty and independence of the Russian Federation depends. We will not rely on certain projects with the participation of Western colleagues. In continuation of this question, there is an opinion that Putin and Biden can solve the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Direct question, is it so, and are the diplomats of the two countries working with each other now? I don't know how interested President Biden is in this. At least he doesn't show that much interest. Everyone knows that Zelensky is not in the slightest degree an independent figure. They tell him what to do. They set the line of his behavior. Drawing this line, he, of course, improvises, depending on the events for a particular day, but, of course, it's pointless to talk to him. Now the West has fabricated some group of countries that met in Copenhagen the other day, all was all G7. The BRICS countries were invited there, of course, with the exception of Russia, also, there were Saudi Arabia and Turkey, and there were Ukrainian representatives. The People's Republic of China received an invitation, but they refused to participate in this event, rightly believing that it was doomed to failure and that it would be exclusively confrontational. Since before its convening it was announced that its purpose was to ensure the approval of Zelensky's peace formula. Zelensky's peace formula is well known to everyone. It demands the surrender of the Russian Federation, it requires the punishment of the Russian Federation, and also, it requires receiving reparations from the Russian Federation, only after that, supposedly, can some kind of peace talks be held and peace agreements reached. About the position of Joe Biden and his administration. They never offered to seek a peaceful solution. They made critical remarks when there were corresponding initiatives in the countries of the Global South. When the initiative of the African countries and the initiative of the Brazilian President Lula were heard. We recently had an envoy from the Pope with the same mission. And a number of other countries also put forward their proposals to assist and mediate. All of these ideas 
when commented on by the West, including the United States, received a negative assessment under the pretext that now is not the time to stop the fighting, because first, Ukraine needs to improve its affairs at the front as part of the course of inflicting a strategic defeat on Russia. And for Ukraine to start negotiations from a stronger position in terms of the situation on the ground, therefore, of course, figures such as Borrell in the European Union, NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg, and practically the entire U.S. administration are declaring the need to inflict a strategic defeat on Russia on the battlefield, that is, they are not talking about negotiations, but about the battlefield, well, we're ready to keep working on the battlefield, and we will do it. We know what we are fighting for. We are fighting in order to eliminate direct military threats to our security, which, contrary to sworn assurances, the West nevertheless creates right on our borders, drawing Ukraine into its games. And now they promise it once again membership in the North Atlantic Alliance, and we are also fighting to prevent the extermination of people living in the Donbas and in general in the southeast of Ukraine, who are forcibly, through the laws adopted by the Nazi regime in Kiev, they deprive them of their rights to identity, including language, including religion, including the right to education and access to the media, and almost any rights that, in one way or another, are associated with the use of their native language, the language of their ancestors, who lived for centuries in the lands where Zelensky now wants to commit genocide, and they lived on lands where all the major cities in this part of the former Ukraine were founded by Russian rulers. The fact that the West looks so lightly at Russophobia, at the campaign of discrimination against everything Russian, at the ban on everything Russian, at these openly racist actions with a Nazi flavor, because in parallel with the extermination of everything Russian in Ukraine, Nazism is flourishing. Most of the soldiers of the so-called nationalist battalions wear tattoos of Nazi divisions, under the banner of Nazi divisions, and with chevrons of Nazi SS divisions. The West is silent and listens to this quite calmly, if at all it pays attention to it. Therefore, we did not refuse negotiations, by the way. Negotiations were already held in March last year, at the request of the Ukrainian side. It ended with an agreement. President Putin spoke about this recently at a meeting with African mediators, but the Anglo-Saxons, represented by Washington and London, forbade Zelensky to agree to that agreement, deciding 
that if the Russians are ready to sign it, then the war must be continued in order to further deplete Russia and in order to squeeze out of it agreements that suit Ukraine. So it's not our choice, as well as about nuclear weapons. This issue should also not be addressed to us, I don't know. Have you interviewed in such detail some Western figures who are in favor of continuing the war? Personally, I don't. I got what you mean. Still, is peace possible in exchange for territories? Can this option suit Russia? You understand. This is the approach. As in the market, I am for you. You are for me. We are not fighting for territories. We are fighting for people, for our history, for our religion, for the Russian language, which is the official language of the entire UN system and which they are now simply crushing, including not only in Ukraine, but also in other European countries, in the Baltics, everyone is silent. Anyone could imagine this? I ask questions to many of my interlocutors, nobody reacts. Can anyone imagine that, say, Switzerland would ban French or German, or that Ireland will ban English, or that Belgium will ban the Flemish language, it's impossible to even imagine, in Finland, in my opinion, 6% of Swedes live, and Swedish is the state language there. At least 20% of ethnic Russians live in Ukraine, and those who speak, think, and live there in Russian, there are more than half of them. Therefore, it is not a matter of territories, but we are talking about the fact that Zelensky is following the order to destroy any manifestations of Russian civilization in the territory of the country where not to him, but to his predecessors, the same radicals and neo-Nazis were allowed to carry out a coup d'etat with the main goal to turn Ukraine into an instrument of containment and undermining the security of the Russian Federation, into a tool, as I said, to eliminate everything Russian in those lands that, in general, were mastered by the Russians, 